So I think it's all about your mindset as an individual. What can I do at the plate at this moment to help my team score a run? Whether it's hitting ball to the opposite field, moving the runner from second to third, hitting a fly ball with a runner at third less than two outs, all of those things factor into winning. Welcome to episode 261 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. We're down to just a couple of weeks until pitchers and catchers report for Major League Baseball training camp. I heard this one earlier this week and it got me kind of excited. Once Super Bowl is over, we can officially say it's baseball season. So needless to say, February 11th can't come soon enough. Let's get into the news headlines for the week, and it's been a busy one as the college baseball season is just getting underway. Diggs Baseball and Analytics Outfit has done some analysis on the best players at the different college levels, and Calgary's Cohen Aiken is ranked as the top returning pitcher in the NAIA. The Lindsey Wilson College hurler is entering his fourth year with the Blue Raiders after going 6-4 and four with a 3.16 ERA last spring, but the number that stuck out most to everyone, 110 strikeouts in just 74 innings. The first Alberta batter to get things rolling was Edmonton's Ryan Cousy, who had a home run and a double for Northeastern Junior College as the Plainsman dumped Garden City 7-1 last Friday. Cousy spent last summer with the Brooks Bombers and was a guest on episode 229 of the podcast. Former Fort McMurray Giants pitcher Jackson Hoensi has been named the first GSAC Pitcher of the Week. He allowed just two hits and struck out 10 in five innings of work as his Arizona Christian Firestorm blanked Oklahoma Panhandle State 6-0 last Friday. A couple of big commitments announced in the last couple of days. Dogs Academy outfielder and first baseman Turner Zadunik is heading to Colby Community College. His brother Tucker is a Dogs alum as well and was a guest on episode 139 of the pod. That was a little while ago. Meantime, Weber Academy's Dylan Decker is heading to Trinidad State College. The Kamloops BC product was also a top performer at the Canadian Future Showcase in September. On the baseball Alberta front, they have a new look. The new blue, white, and yellow rebrand features a bighorn sheep as the primary logo. The bighorn sheep is actually Alberta's official mammal, symbolizing resilience, adaptability, and strong sense of community. If you haven't already, check them out on social or you can head to BaseballAlberta.com. And finally, some sad news from the baseball world this week as longtime coach and manager Jimmy Williams passed away. Williams is best known for his time with the Toronto Blue Jays and came through Alberta on a few occasions as part of the Blue Jays winter caravan back in the 1980s. Our thoughts and love go out to those who knew and loved Jimmy Williams, who was 80 years young. Now on to this week's guests, and we're doing something a little different this time around. With the MLB season fast approaching, we thought we'd bring you a trio of guests to provide some insight into Canada's team, the Toronto Blue Jays. The big news this week, of course, has been the signing of veteran DH Justin Turner, and we'll get to that in a minute. But we'll start things off this week with the final guest from the recent Blue Jays Academy National Coaches Clinic at Weber Academy. Former Blue Jay and current broadcaster Buck Martinez was actually the first person I spoke with on mic during the clinic. And we get into giving back to the community, his message for the coaches in attendance. And of course, we get into his thoughts on the Blue Jays heading into the season. Buck, first off, welcome back to Calgary. Uh, walk us through being able to give back to the community and, and do uh, events such as this. Well, it's, it's awesome because you can see the enthusiasm of the youngsters here, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing that we all get out of it. You know, all of us that have played 
love the game, obviously. And whenever we can get back to the younger people and give them an opportunity to enjoy playing a little bit more by giving them some some, some fundamental aspects of how you play the game, it might make it a little bit more enjoyable for them as they get back on the field. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about getting outside Toronto and being able to come to Alberta or whether it's BC or anywhere else and be able to to spread the love of baseball uh, at Weber Academy. You know, when I first got to Canada back in 1981, uh, about some the Blue Jays, and we would go coast to coast to coast, and we would hit a lot of communities and just trying to develop uh, a following for the Blue Jays across Canada. So I've been able to be from Swift Current to Alberta, or Swift Current, Alberta, out to Kitty Vitty in uh, Newfoundland, and, and, you know, I've been everywhere. And uh, the fans are so great, and they love the Blue Jays so much that when we ever can come out, I think it's always awesome to see the interest in how people in some of the places we don't think about when we're based in Toronto, how much they enjoy the Blue Jays, and it's always good out to see that. Not just that, but also the talent level as well, I assume. When you look at some of the, the talent over the last few decades, what are you noticing as you make your way across the country? Well, I think the success of the Canadian major leaguers has had a lot to do with that. When you think about Larry Walker and Chris Reitzman and all these guys that have played, and they've enjoyed a lot of success, so that creates interest. Like, for these youngsters who are 9 and 10 years old, think maybe I can do that too and I think now because of the reach of colleges from the United States can come up here and a lot of these kids that are playing now will have a chance to play in the States and play against better competition and have a chance to really enjoy the game of baseball and maybe at the same time get a great education so that's always a great goal. Talk a little bit about the message that you've got for the coaches. Obviously, having the kids here is one thing to be able to, to talk to those community association coaches and get them on board with what you're trying to sell as far as building the game here in Canada. I think the biggest thing that is a challenge for coaches, whether they're big league coaches or uh, peewee league coaches, it doesn't make any difference, but it's attention span. Mm-hmm. Kids nowadays want instant gratification, and they don't want to spend a lot of time learning the game of baseball. When I grew up as an eight, nine-year-old, we didn't have all the video games and all that stuff, so we we taught ourselves how to entertain ourselves with baseball games, and we did a lot of playing. I had a field in my backyard my dad built for me, and everybody in the neighborhood would come, and we'd play till dark, and you just play all day long. And now the challenge for coaches is to keep it interesting and keep it fast-moving so they always have something to do. And that's what we're going to try to explain to the coaches now. You have to challenge these kids to stay engaged during the course of their practice so they will get more out of it because baseball can be very boring. You stand in the outfield, you might not get a ball for the whole game, but you have to create that kind of interest and let them understand there's going to be times when you're standing around and then there's other times you're going to have to be engaged and make a good play. Would you recommend for a lot of coaches to have, especially at the younger ages, have kids rotating through positions, even if they've got that star pitcher on the mound or that star shortstop, make sure they're all getting a chance because you never know where your star is going to end up aligning when they're 11, 12, 13. Yeah, and, and you know we see it an awful lot in kids where the best player is your shortstop and your pitcher. And, you know, that's all they learn. But now I think we've learned that if you teach your shortstop how to play third base and you teach him how to play second base, he will understand those positions and maybe understand a little bit more what it means to be a good teammate. So I think not only in baseball, but I encourage the young athletes to play all the sports. It gives you a totally different set of skill sets. Whether you're playing hockey or football or basketball or baseball, 
each of those sports has a unique set of disciplines that you have to understand. And as you become more, uh, if you become more physical and you gain your strength, you might not really be a great baseball player, but you might be a terrific football player. You just don't know. And, you know, I played with Rick Leach, who was a quarterback in the Rose Bowl for three times, and he was a great baseball player, and Kurt Gibson and Bo Jackson, and these guys played multiple sports. And George Springer played every sport that was in season when he was a kid. He played soccer, he played hockey, he played football, he played basketball, he ran track. And I encourage all the players, young players especially, because if you play one sport year-round, you're never going to allow those muscles to heal and recuperate. But if you play baseball in the summer and hockey in the winter and maybe track in the spring, you'll allow those different muscles to recuperate and you'll become an overall better athlete. You mentioned the athletic part of it, and you also kind of hinted at the teammate aspect of it. How much of it is teaching these kids that it's beyond the personality aspect, too, and to be able to be a good teammate? And, uh, you know, you can only teach, you can teach talent, but you can't teach attitude kind of thing. No, and that's a great point, because the one thing you can always be is a good teammate. You can always be a good teammate by helping your teammate, by picking up baseballs when it's his turn to hit, by throwing batting practice to a good teammate. And unfortunately, even at the major league level, what has happened to the game now is we teach individuals how to play and then ask them to be a team player without ever really practicing as a team. When I was in the major leagues, we had infield practice every single day. So I knew I would stand next to Ernie Witt and we'd make throws and we'd receive throws from the outfield and we'd compare notes. Jesse Barfield has that long hop. Lloyd Mosby has a shorter hop. George Bell has a different throw. But we would see that every single day. Now a catcher in the big leagues might get a play at home plate once a week. We had 15 or 16 throws every day in infield practice. So when it came up in the course of the game, we had seen that play already that day. So it, it, the fundamental aspect of the game has really uh, been challenged recently, and we see that in the play. The purest form of baseball in my mind is the World Baseball Classic because if you don't win, you go home, and then it's all about winning. And we have gotten away from that aspect, but it's professional sports, and in professional sports, you're supposed to win the game. So I always encourage team aspect over individuals. You mentioned the Blue Jays. You mentioned George Springer. I'd be remiss if I didn't chat with you a little bit about what you see so far. Obviously, still a little bit of spring training or a little bit of time before spring training. What do you make of this team? What are you thinking is going to be sort of the bread and butter of the Blue Jays heading into 2024? Well, right now, it's it's hard to really evaluate 24 until you see what the finished product is at the end of spring training because there's still moves to be made. The Blue Jays just recently signed a Cuban player that didn't play last year, but he's played in Japan, and um, he's supposed to be a very talented player. We don't know. He hadn't played in a year. So I, I think the biggest thing about the Blue Jays is last year they had a phenomenal pitching staff. Everybody was healthy. They only used 26 pitchers all year long, which was the fewest in major leagues. And if that is going to happen again, that would be very fortunate. So you don't understand how each year is going to be different. The Blue Jays don't have a third baseman right now. They don't have a DH right now. But it's a matter of I'm not going to make a judgment on this team till the end of spring training and see exactly who's on the team. When you look at the roster as it stands now, I know there's a lot of people like, say, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who wants to see his power numbers go up and, and get you know the runners in scoring position aspect of it. I noticed the coaching staff has changed over a little bit so that there's maybe the, the offensive coordinator position with, with Don, for example. 
What do you make of the offensive side of the ball, and what are you hoping to see this year from the Jays that maybe they weren't able to accomplish in 2023? I think the Blue Jays need to be more effective with runners in scoring position. They always had a lot of base runners on, but they didn't seem to be able to move that runner along and score him. You know, the game of baseball is all about how many runs you score and how many runs you prevent. The Blue Jays are very good at run prevention. They won the team gold glove last year. And that's fine, and the pitching was outstanding. But at the same time, you got to score more runs than the other team. So I think it's all about your mindset as an individual. What can I do at the plate at this moment to help my team score a run? Whether it's hitting ball to the opposite field, moving the runner from second to third, hitting a fly ball with a runner at third less than two outs, all of those things factor into winning. And that's what the team's supposed to do. You're supposed to win games. And obviously, we want to see them get uh, a little bit further in the playoffs as well, heading into 2024. Final question for you here, Buckets. One we ask everyone here on the show, what does the game of baseball mean to you? Well, it's always been uh, something I've played out of love. I uh, started, I, I didn't get drafted out of high school. I went to junior college, and uh, I, I found out then I was pretty good at it. And I got drafted and signed with the Phillies and uh it's the only thing I've ever really known, but it's the passionate thing that it keeps us going. And it's like we're here in Calgary doing this thing because we want to pass that joy and that love of the game to the youngsters. And sometimes baseball seems boring to these kids. But when you understand how unique it is and what kind of skill set it takes, it's a wonderful game, and we just want to pass that along. Fantastic stuff, Buck. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. My pleasure, Joe. You have a great day. Next up is actually a conversation had before Christmas. Our Ian Wilson and his better half Sarah went out for a date night to see a comedian. That performer is also known for being a baseball fanatic. Scott Belford is the host of the Walk Off podcast and took some time before his set to talk shop with Ian. Joined by Scott Belford on Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. We're at the Laugh Shop. Yeah, this is one of the you're you're the Shohei Otani of uh, <laughs> of the entertainment world. I guess you wear many hats. Uh, I guess why don't we start uh, with your your podcast, the Walk Off Podcast? Uh, tell us, give us the Coles notes on it and the the origin story. Well, it is interesting because I make my living as a professional stand up comedian, and of yeah. course, when the pandemic hit. Everything shut down. So I was sitting at home. I was doing nothing, losing my mind, drinking too much. My <laughs> wife was getting frustrated with me, right? Tight quarters. Yeah. And my buddy, who I'd been on the road with earlier, had told me that he really enjoyed talking baseball with me. And he was like, you should have a baseball podcast. That guy is Adam Mack, my co-host now. Yes. So he wound up calling me during the pandemic and was like, hey, if I do all the back-end stuff, would you like to start a baseball podcast? Should we talk about the Blue Jays? And that's exactly how it went down. And you know what? Fast forward three years later, and just last week we hit number two baseball podcast in Canada. So, Congrats you know, on that. thank you. It and was, it's it's Blue Jays focused, obviously. Why Blue Jays? Is it just you grew up a fan? You're like that's your team. Just that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah. Is I was raised a Blue Jays fan yes, and yeah. I was raised a Blue Jays <laughs> yeah. fan. I had no other choice, right? It yeah. was Blue Jays or die at my house growing up and yeah. I was 10. Was that in Calgary? That, that was, yeah. I grew up in Grand Prairie, Alberta actually. Okay. So I was up north yeah. and I was 10 or 11. Yeah. 
10 and 11 during 92 93 yeah. very impressionable time yeah. in yeah. a in a young boy's life and of well, course I wonder what was going on of around course, that time world <laughs> series yeah. champions you yeah. know what's funny i was also a flames fan okay so in 89 they won the the stanley cup yeah. then the blue jays won in 92 and 93 and as an 11 yeah. year old boy my man oh, yeah. i honestly believed that you just why wouldn't you invest all of your emotional energy into your favorite sports teams? It pays off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward 30 years later. <laughs> so I'm going to put you through the paces a bit because we're on Otani Watch right now. This podcast episode that I'm inter yes. interviewing you for, we're probably not going to release until the New Year. So we'll already know. without naming names, what does a successful offseason look like? for the Toronto Blue Giving themselves the most opportunity to take advantage of these final two years of control of Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Chris Bassett, Gosman. The, like the list goes on and on of guys that come 2025 or 2026, Springer, they're gone. So I really believe that when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays, I know that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins talked ad nauseum come 2016 and 2017 about waves of talent and how there isn't a window. This is just prolonged success. We're not there anymore. I think that we are definitely in a window. It's a two-year window, and I truly do believe that Rodgers has gone to them and said, spend some money. We may need to rebuild in two years, but let's fill this newly renovated stadium as much as we possibly can. So if they don't get Shohei, I mean, fingers crossed, that would be crazy, right? Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. if they don't get Shohei, I mean, I think there's some other big moves up their sleeves that they could make. Who knows? Yeah. Um, there's a couple Alberta-trained uh, prospects in the system of the Blue Jays. Yes. Guys that we're familiar with. I hope you're familiar yes. with them. Damiano Palmagiani. Uh, had an excellent season uh, and then an excellent fall season mm -hmm. after that. Adam Mako is an interesting prospect who, great guy, great backstory through Slovakia and Ireland of and all that. I guess I'll just ask you your scouting report on both those guys. Well, we were very lucky to have both Adam Mako and Damiano Palmagiani on the podcast, yeah. both very mentally ready. Yeah. for the, the pressures of the big leagues type of guys. I was really impressed with the head on both of them. Damiano Pomigiani, I think, is a, a star waiting to happen. He has made huge leaps at every place that he has stopped, right? Like, we watched him dominate in A in Vancouver. We watched him dominate in New Hampshire in AA. We watched him take that step to Buffalo. We watched him go and almost win the home run derby at the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. I really think the sky's the limit for this kid, 23 years old, and plays third base, a spot that there's opportunity there uh, within the Toronto Blue Jays system. And I don't think that he's going to take that spot out of spring training or anything crazy like that. But I do think the Jays are leaning more towards a stopgap at third and allowing guys like Damiano and Aralvis Martinez and Addison Barger to... Uh, maybe not be thrown into the deep end of the pool right out of the gate and kind of ease their way into third base or second or wherever they may wind up being. Sure. And, and Adam Mackel, what, what if, what's your thoughts on him? He's a he's another very mature. Listen, those Vauxhall guys, man, they, they come out pretty mature. And he's a lefty. Yeah. How do you not love a lefty? Just yeah. the opportunity for a lefty to excel yeah. is just so much higher. He's got such good stuff. Yeah. The fact 
that he's showing so much control with his fastball over this last six months is, is, is massive progress for the kid. And I really do think that, yeah, we're going to, there's a reason he was added to the 40 man roster, right? They believed that there was a team out there. One of the other 29 organizations would take a flyer on Adam Mako, try and stick him in a bullpen where you can massage his usage as a lefty and, and take a very good prospect. That's why they protected him. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we were having that discussion as well. Is he gonna? Are they gonna keep him, or is he gonna be? So it's nice to see they have that faith in him. I agree. Yeah. 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 Uh, talk to me a little bit about the the comedy career. How does one get into that? That seems like probably a, <laughs> like like being a minor league ball player. Uh, right? Quite an easy gig. Uh, right? <laughs> a, a, a series of bad life decisions, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I started in Edmonton. I was working in radio at the time up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and I had to MC the comedy show every week okay. and eventually after doing it a few times I started writing some jokes and performing a little bit and fast forward yeah. 18 years later and here we are so it uh, happened naturally I got to a point where I was just sick of radio and I had quit that and moved to Edmonton to pursue comedy and yeah. was working in a warehouse and yeah that's kind of how that all played out there yeah Nice. Uh, there's, there are some, I was joking about the minor league ball player, but there are some similarities. There, I, I draw, it's like we talk to so many minor league guys, yeah. and I draw that comparison to them yeah. all the time. Like, we're on the road just as much. Yeah. We're, like, think about the industries that deal with hecklers. It's Actually, like that's where it's, I was going next. It's, yeah, it's yeah. ball players yeah. and comedians. It's the only place people yeah. feel comfortable getting drunk and yelling shit, right? Like <laughs> uh, on the heckling note, you, you, what's the best chirp you've heard? And and I assume you have to be like just ready to go with the with the reply. <laughs> so for me, yeah. I had. Um, I've had so many hecklers I don't even know, man. I honestly don't even know, and it always goes a different direction. Um, the best baseball heckle I've ever seen, though, yeah. was we were at a... It was a Cracker Cats game back okay. when it was the yeah. Cracker Cats yeah. in Edmonton. Yeah. And my buddy was yelling the foot every time the first baseman would lift his foot so right left okay. and at first he didn't really get it but then he started to get understand that every time he lifted which foot yeah. it was like right or left yeah. and then he started to get very self-conscious about <laughs> yeah. it and like but also you can't plant your feet right yeah. like you're gonna like move gonna around yeah and it was just like so funny watching yeah. him get in his head and eventually he was just like he threw his arms up yeah. and he was just like enough <laughs> like, <laughs> Edmonton I think had a very famous heckler too. oh yeah there were heckler. the guy's name but there's a ball guy yeah yeah and then uh, I know you got to get going yeah. here so last last question for you just the intersection of baseball and comedy uh, what what fertile ground do you see there between the two fields I just love talking baseball and I mean I'm in comedy for a reason so I think it's just like really fun to kind of be funny and poke fun and you know some folks take sports so seriously <laughs> but it's not this guy <laughs> awesome. well thanks so much Scott hey Ian, a, a pleasure man and finally, we mentioned earlier that Justin Turner is now a Toronto Blue Jay, which is the first big signing by the club after its run for the big fish, Shohei Otani. It's been a weird offseason all around with a few veterans still on the board, and it still feels like the Jays might try to do something else as they're clearly in win-now mode. Someone with his finger on the pulse of the Jays is TSN's Scott Mitchell, 
who I've actually known for years as he was a sports reporter in Calgary for a few years and he also filled in with my slow pitch team, the Rad News Beers. And as I think back, he was actually filling in for Ian at shortstop. So those two weirdly never crossed paths. Anyways, I asked Scott if he had a few minutes on Wednesday, and here's that conversation. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. No problem, buddy. I was uh, trying to debate when the last time we saw each other was. Uh, probably 2016, since I left Calgary in August of 2016. So it's been seven and a half years. And uh, you were probably back cleanup then, or are you back in lead-off? <laughs> uh, we've been off for a little while, if I'm being honest. But uh, the last time, I was definitely lower part of the order, because uh, the youth movement is officially upon the Rad News beers. I will say that, uh, including, you know, we've got now kids that are, are getting to be of age that can actually play but uh that's a different story for a different day uh let's get into things here and start with the latest news out of blue jays land and that is justin turner is a toronto blue jay track record kind of speaks for itself although the age kind of gets to a lot of people here what do you think he brings to the table for the jays is he brandon belt 2.0 kind of thing yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I mean, anytime they sign a player that's within a couple years of my age, I feel good about it, to be honest, um, for personal reasons. But, yeah, look, I mean, Justin Turner has been signing some short-term deals the last couple of years just because of his age. But, you know, he's proven that he's still a very productive hitter. Um, you know, I saw him a ton with the, with the Red Sox last year. And, uh, yeah, Brandon Belt 2.0 from the right side. I think he did. Um, you know, obviously, Brandon Bell had some of the back issues last year. Um, you know, he's pretty one in terms of first base, DH, um, you know, a lefty hitter. So you're platooning him against left-handed pitching. Um, I think Turner brings a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more in terms of an everyday kind of DH guy. And you can also have him, you know, dabble at first base, second base, third base, which gives you a little bit more versatility. And, you know, he's not going to be a gold glover in any of those spots at, at his age, but, you know, that versatility helps uh, through a long season. So, yeah, look, uh, he uh, his agent did well for him with, um, you know, the uh, the opt-out, the buyout, and then getting $13 million. I, I think it's a, a fair deal for the Blue Jays if he brings what he did last year. I think, the you know, the concern anytime you're, you're 39 years old is, is where is that cliff and, and when do you fall off? And, you know, it happens for every player. And, you know, the Blue Jays are obviously betting that it's not this season. And, yeah, it's going to DH for the most part. But uh, that little bit of added versatility um, is going to help in that point for sure. I suppose as well it's that winning pedigree too, whether it's an all-star, an NLCS MVP, a World Series champion. I mean, those pieces kind of play into it, I'm sure. It's the same with Brandon Belt was, allowing those younger players to maybe pick the brain of another person and go, here's what we did to get to the top of the hill. Yeah, totally. That experience is, is kind of vital. It's also very hard to quantify. Um, you know, it's an interesting kind of narrative surrounding this team right now. Not exactly a young team. They were kind of one of the, the older teams in, in baseball last year. And, you know, I think all of the, the experience has accumulated over the last three, four seasons. Um, you know, it's now or never. Um, I, I think that uh, that winning pedigree, the ability to, you know, get to a World Series and win it, um, that experience definitely shows up. I know they valued Brandon Belt last year, and you know, I don't know if uh, he's decided on retirement, things like that. Uh, but, yeah, you definitely need those guys in the clubhouse, that experience, because it's a long year. And, uh, you know, I think the, the thing that I've learned over uh, this will be amazingly be my ninth season covering baseball, um, the 
I've really learned is just how how much of a mental grind it is um, for these players and trying to get yourself out of a funk. Um, you know, when things are going well in late May, early June, uh, you know you still got four months to go. I, I think, you know, the mindset of veterans that have been there before to, to be able to kind of, um, you know, just to steer guys in, in the right direction on the on the mental side of the game. Uh, you know, it's not so much about, you know, swing adjustments, things like that. Every every player, no matter the age, you know, kind of knows how to take care of their own playing, but it's just getting through on the mental side, the life side, and, you know, 162 games, we'll say, you know, baseball isn't a, a, a physically grueling sport. Um, I disagree, and it's also a very mentally grueling sport when you, uh, you know, fail 75% of the time, you're still one of the best players in the league, so. Uh, yeah, Justin Turner, uh, as long as he hits, um, I think that contract's going to look very good in the end. Mm-hmm. It's been a quieter offseason for the Jays, maybe more so than a lot of people expected. Were you surprised that it hasn't been louder to this point? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, the expectations that were set out by the, the front office back in October, November, when the offseason began, um, yeah, you can easily uh, say that you know, as you sit here on, uh, you know, last day of January, early February, um, that you expected more. Um, they took some swings. Um, you know, the Otani stuff was mm-hmm. obviously a real chase. Um, the Dodgers had to, had to fumble the ball, uh, really, for him to end up anywhere else, and, and they didn't. Um, but to go to that length, uh, give him the contract structure that he wanted and say, yeah, if you choose us, um, you know, we're willing to, to go to these lengths to, to sign a, a generational talent that, uh, you know, essentially pays for himself on the marketing side. Um, that showed you a lot. Um, you know, the Juan Soto interest was fairly real, but the problem is the Blue Jays didn't have, you know, the farm system to be able to match uh, what Yankees could give up, and that's why the Padres took that deal and, you know, didn't really, uh, you know, talk to, to too many of their teams in the end. So, um, you know, they, they, they were big game hunting early. And I think when you look at this free agent market, obviously it's been a weird one. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's still a ton of names on the market right now, um, more veteran types. Um, it's an interesting off season in terms of what was on the market and the needs for the Blue Jays. And, it, you know, it didn't really align. They, 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 they needed bats. They needed to improve their offense. And this market was, you know, just flush with, with pitching and um, not a lot of great options. I, I, I don't think they're, they're totally done at this point. I, I think maybe... You know, another, um, you know, kind of depth sort of move. But, yeah, look, I mean, I, I think the expectations and what they've done, um, you can definitely sit there as a fan and say, you know, I, I wanted more. But I think the, the real key that, uh, is just the positive regression. And um, I, I think when you look at this roster last year offensively, so many things went wrong. Um, I don't see that happening again. I still think this is a very good baseball team that, you know, the – you have to change things on the fly. The trade deadline's still there. There still will be opportunity. Look, I, I think this is a, about a 90 win ball club right now. Um, but the expectations for this season were high at the beginning, and that's where obviously the, the disappointment is going to kind of end up at this point. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the names that are still on the market. I'm curious, what do you think the chances are that Matt Chapman is a Toronto Blue Jay again in 2024? I think uh, he would need to not find um, the money and term uh, that's probably likely out there from, I would guess, the San Francisco Giants or the Chicago Cubs. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to go $150 million for, for Matt Chapman. So, you know, right now it's, it's just such an odd market and, you know, really hard to explain because we are heading into February. And, 
you know, normally a guy like Matt Chapman would have signed in, in you know, November or December, um, you know, when he found that offer. I, I don't think he's getting the offers that he thought of, and, you know, that's why we're sitting here with, you know, him, Bellinger, um, you know, J.D. Martinez, uh, you know, a couple other guys, Jorge Soler, still on the market, is they're just not getting the term and they're, they're comfortable waiting. Um, I, I think uh, the odds are against it, uh, but it's, you know, not a 0% chance. I just think he would have to kind of look at the offers and say, okay, I'm comfortable in Toronto. Um, I think he's going to end up uh, on the West Coast if he did that. Another aspect of things, the Toronto Blue Jays starting five or starting four were really good in 2023. And there's a hope, I think, that Alec Manoa can return to some form of what he was uh, in 2022. What do you think that starting rotation looks like heading into opening day? Do you think he's going to be given every opportunity to 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 win back his old job? Do you what do you see as being sort of the the keys to uh, some sustained success on on the hill for for the starting five? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll start with Manoa. I mean, you know, I, I think he's he's probably the favorite right now if he comes in and, and looks healthy, you know, to, to win that fifth starter job just because of the other options. You know, Yariel Rodriguez is a guy um, that they signed, um, you know, to a, a contract. Um, you know, it hasn't been official yet. They're just working through the paperwork. But, you know, they're going to give him a chance to start. The issue with him is uh, he wasn't built up in Japan. He's not going to have a ton of innings in him. So at some point, he's going to be in the bullpen. Um, but when you look at kind of the situation, there's Mitch White. Um, there's a, a couple other depth guys. But really, you're, you're holding that spot for, for Ricky Tiedemann and hoping in June that he's ready to come up and, you know, be the dominant left-hander that he has looked like in, in minor leagues at times. And again, when you look at, you know, the, the type of innings he's going to have, um, you know, in the tank, uh, he's never thrown more than 78 innings in a season, even less last year, thanks to a couple injuries. So when you look at that fifth starter spot, you look at Manoa, you look at Yariel Rodriguez, you look at Mitch White, and you look at um, Ricky Tiedemann down the line in the second half. And, you know, I think those are pretty good options to, to allow you to piece it together. And, you know, as far as the uh, rotation overall, um, you know, one through four, there's there's talent, there's elite stuff. I, I think the biggest concern that I have is all these guys stayed healthy last year. Not one of them hit the IL. That is so, so rare to happen. I haven't seen it happen since 2016 um, here. So, you know, the, the likelihood is that, you know, there's a couple IL stints where it's just going to test your depth. And, you know, that's going to make Manoa and... You know, guys like like Mitch White and Tiedemann even even more important because if those four guys stay healthy, you know, Gosman, Barrios, uh, Bassett, and Kikuchi one through four uh, all season again, it, it'll be an absolute miracle. So I think the depth will be needed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know what Manoa and uh, Yariel Rodriguez specifically look like in spring training because um, you, you're going to need some quality innings out of them. Mm-hmm. Changing gears for a minute, obviously, Alberta-based podcast, so i got to ask a couple questions about guys with ties here. Let's start with Adam Mako. He took a big step forward in Vancouver last year. You did a couple, uh, top prospects list, and he's up there. Where does he stand in the Jays' eyes right now? Where do you think he starts 2024? Yeah, I, I love Adam Mako. Um, electric stuff from, from the left side. Um, I even knew about him when he was in the Bears organization just uh, because of some of the Canadian baseball people I talked to. And, 
Yeah, really good end to last year overall, inconsistent, but uh, he had three or four of his best starts of the year down the stretch and really kind of evened out some of the command issues um, that he's been dealing with. And, and you know, that's kind of the, the issue um, with Mako, the, the fastball. Uh, he's got a nice looping curveball. He's got, uh, you know, a couple other pitches that he can toy with. Um, but it just hasn't been the command. And, you know, talking to a lot of people, people just thought that was reps. Um, you know, get him on the mound, get him more innings. He's had some injury issues in his career. So I think he kind of maybe saw that at the end of the year, that, uh, you know, as he found more consistency, the command started to come around. So, yeah, that's going to be, you know, one of the more interesting guys to watch early in the season. Um, should start at double-A, obviously uh, a huge um, a huge test getting into the upper minors, but the stuff is really, really good. So, uh, you know, a lot of people still see starter. Um, the people that don't see starter see, you know, potentially, a, and, you know, I'm not making this comparison because the stuff's a little different, but, you know, a, a Josh Hader-type reliever from the left side that, you know, in one or two inning spurts can come in pumping 97, um, you know, with a wipeout breaking ball. So, uh, really like him, but big year for him. Um, you know, we could be talking about him, you know, uh, a really, really good, this time next year or you know if the command kind of is wobbly again um you know he's obviously going to have some work to do but uh yeah elite stuff mm-hmm. the other is damiano palmagiani who's quickly risen up the depth charts and might actually be in the conversation i think for a call up at some point this year if he continues that torrid pace that he had in buffalo at the end of last year what's your read on his status in toronto right now yeah, uh, he's he's one of my favorite prospects, actually, and um, it's funny. Uh, I was on a, a podcast recently, and and someone asked me, you know, who who could go Davis Schneider in the second half, and and Damiano Palmagiani was my was my pick. I mean, the the guy a uh, crushes left-handed pitching, um, which allows you to kind of envision a, a platoon role where you know they could uh, shield him from from some of the tougher righties. Uh, the guy hits fastballs. He's one of the best fastball hitters in the system. Uh, he's got power. He's got some patience. Um, the only thing he really doesn't have is, is defensive uh, versatility or, you know, we'd be talking about him in, in a much different realm in terms of prospect status. Uh, but really, really love the bat. Um, super, super underrated. Um, obviously a very interesting story from, from where he's from and how he's gotten to this point. So, um yeah, he's going to start in AAA, and absolutely, I, I would, you know, without you got to work in some injuries. You got to look at, you know, the guys that are ahead of him in the pecking order potentially. Maybe Addison Barger, maybe Arelvis, uh Martinez gets a call before him. But if he's raking in in AAA, um, you know, this business is about you know what it done for me lately, and he could push he could push a call up. And when you look at um, you know their roster construction right now. Uh, there's absolutely going to be some potentially third base at bats and DH at bats available. Um, and if he's, he's crushing the ball like he did to end the season in AAA last year, he's absolutely up in the big leagues at some point this year. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, a couple of uh, you mentioned off the top. You and I first met covering sports here in Calgary, and you ended up as a sub on my slow pitch team, and you turned a lot of heads, my friend, because of your your skills. So I'm curious, are you still playing now that you're a big-time TV star? <laughs> There's a lot of inaccuracies in that <laughs> statement. Um, big-time TV star is the, the most glaring one. But, um, yeah. Uh, so the funny thing is, you know, when you work in baseball, a lot different than me and in Calgary working in football. My night 
I know. There's a game just about every single night. I have uh, a chance to, to left side. I'm like the Brandon Belt of, of slow pitch. <laughs> you know, my my back hurts, my knees hurt, but I can still produce if uh, given the opportunity. But um, I actually tore my ACL, MCL, broke my ankle uh, a couple summers ago. Oh, no way. I had surg- surgery last year, so... Um, I'm getting close. Uh, I don't think I'll be legging out any doubles, but I could probably, <laughs> I, I might need a ghost runner at this point. But so if anyone's got any, if there's any Toronto people listening that, that need a sub, um, Joe just gave you the scouting report and, uh, I may be available from time to time this summer. So, um, I enjoyed playing with y'all. It was fun. And I've always wondered this, do Blue Jays reporters get to take a few hacks at Rogers Center from time to time? Like, have you ever been able to hit tanks uh, there yet? Uh, not at Rogers Center. Um, a couple of guys shoved me in the cage in Dunedin a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um, to, to hit a, a velocity machine. That was, that was an experience. Uh, didn't, didn't go so well. I was swinging out off my heels and... Uh, there wasn't there was there wasn't a whole lot of hard contact, but uh, not at Rogers Center. I'm, I'm usually in a suit working. It probably wouldn't go so well. So uh, no, I leave I leave uh, I leave the playing to the professionals these days, Joe. That's fair. But that being said, getting to take a few hacks and at Dunedin's probably not a bad way to do things either. On in a especially when it's cold up north, right? I mean, worse ways to, to spend the day for sure. I'm pretty blessed and grateful to do what I do. Absolutely, man. Well, we're really lucky to have you on and, and chat a little Blue Jays and, and also reminisce a little bit, too. The people don't necessarily know the, the laughs that happened uh, before and after the record button's been hit. So really appreciate the time. As always, Scott, uh, all the best this season. Hope to chat with you again soon. Yeah, man, anytime. It only took you nine seasons to have me <laughs> on. So, uh, you know, anytime you want. I'll, help you. I'll be here for you in, in nine more years. Shots fired. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Buck Martinez, Scott Belford, and Scott Mitchell for joining us this week. And thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app as those actions help spread the word about ADS. We'd also like to tip our caps to our platinum supporters, the Okotoks Dogs and AHP Academy, for their generosity and support in helping us tell the game stories in our province. Having that support to cover costs like web hosting fees, subscription services, and more is integral to what we do. So if you'd like to join our sponsorship team, head to albertadugoutstories.com slash supporters. Until next time, thank you for all of your support online, on social, and on air of Alberta Dugout Stories.